You're listening to Strong Asian Lead, a podcast platform for Asians across the diaspora to share their stories about what it means to be an Asian creative in the entertainment industry. Throughout this podcast, you'll hear me and my guests have deep discussions about the industry, the paths they forged, and their unique experiences on and off the film set. Thank you for tuning in. Our mission as Strong Asian Lead is to amplify the creative power of the Asian entertainment diaspora, create space for artists to tell their stories, and provide resources to support emerging artists in their careers. My name is David Masami Moria. I'm an entrepreneur, career coach, screenwriter, and activist. Welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm super excited to drop this episode today because I promised them in the beginning that I would drop it during Heritage Month because this is when the album came out, but that didn't happen. That was on me, but we're picking up back now. As everybody can see, if you're following the episodes, following our Instagrams and all that, we have our team. Oh my gosh. All throughout May, people were holding everything down, but it was working, And but I was exhausted. I, need, I, I knew we had to go through uh, Heritage Month and reaching out to volunteer and work with us. And so I just want to thank so many people. I find it so important to recognize the people who are doing the amazing work because without them, Strong Asian League could not survive. I'll be honest. I was doing a lot of it myself in the past few months. It was a lot. Juggling a lot of things at the same time is pretty difficult when I also just moved into my apartment and just getting life back in order. Now that I have my vaccine and a lot of my friends do it, I want to go see them and enjoy uh, their company, and I had to move here to LA to do that. But without this team, I don't think I would have been able to take this past week to just chill out. Like, it's been a long time. And anywhere you are, like, workaholics like myself, you've just been hunkering down in this pandemic period just to get stuff done. It gets exhausting when you're just doing it 24-7. Weekends are hard. There's not Sometimes there was no, nothing to do. So sometimes we just work. Uh, those who are stayed quiet and stuff like that even if you stayed off social media or anything you just hunkered down and said i'm gonna do work that's what i did i'll say that because i i all i've done is work and work drives me and it's been nothing else but to do but work i got to take last week off like i got my couch got a bed frame and i got a little special project that i was working on that's been really exciting and without the time to be able to focus on that i get drained very much to my team thank you so much for letting me have this weekend really keeping it down so First off, to our new social media manager, Allegra Batara, our Canva designer, Dennis Michael Broussard, our podcast producer, Kenna Tenue, our project manager, Sanji De Silva, Ravi Lad, our podcast editor, and Sky Nakamura, our survey analysis. So, yeah, just thank you. Thank you so much. We are going to get into our today's podcast episode. So thank you for letting me do our credits at the beginning. I just wanted to thank everybody. And a shout out to Mental Health. If you're working too hard, take a break. Today's podcast episode with Jason Chu and Alan Z is, it's exciting. I've listened to the music before I met them, and then I met them through Clubhouse, and we had some good times on the stage back in the early days. <laughs> Those are the times. And it was good to have an interview with them. I was still in the rush mode, just working hard and exhausted, but now I feel really good. I feel like I can be a little chill, and uh, people have been really enjoying the podcast. Thank you for all the comments, and thank you for people listening in. And before we get into today's episode with Jason and Alan, we're going to play their third track on their new album, face value which you can find on spotify and any player right now i think it's important to have the context of the interview because the song's only a few minutes we're going to play on the podcast so tune into this track and then we'll get right into the interview If 
thinking we got commas Really in back pockets, we carrying deep traumas Hang tied us by our own trousers Seen as outsiders, they used to redline us Time caught us out white in the white scholars Drove a divide between us and the black brothers You got admitted to dominant white college Still, you ain't valid for most of them white collars Southeast Asian dark cousins Drive down the streets, police radio buzzing Gaslighted to thinking we made progress Still, they killed Christian Hall and said nothing Not a model, not a monolith Ay, Not a pawn for your politics Nah, learn from Gandhi and Dr. King If the system don't bring peace, we must abolish it Yeah both for jumping on the, the podcast. I'd love to start out with a couple of introduction. I'd love to hear where you're from, where did you get started, and what got you into the music business? Yeah, what's up, everyone? It's great to be here. My name is Jason Chu at Jason Chu Music. I'm a hip-hop artist and activist based in Los Angeles, California. My motto is speaking hope and healing in a broken world. I'm just trying to make things that help feed people, that help build community, and yeah, build on the foundation that's been given us. So I'm super excited to be here. Alan and I got this face value project that's that's rolling out this month. That's my boy right there. Alan, let him know who you is. Yeah, for those of y'all that don't know me, my name is Alan Z, rapper, singer, actor, based in Atlanta, Georgia. So I guess my goal in a similar way is to shift the paradigm. Like I feel like change is good and, and change is something that is necessary when it comes to things that affect our people negatively. So I'm always one to push the envelope and confront people on their BS whenever I get a chance to, because I feel like that's the only way we can make progress as a society. 
So through my music, like when I rap, it's a lot of like competitive rapping, a lot of like dropping facts and sometimes controversial edgy stuff. And then when I sing, it's that's where all the pop sensibilities and melodic structure, like songwriting structure comes in. So it's like the duality of Alan Z is like the, like the music for the ladies and then music for Alan. <laughs> stuff that I want to do, which is bars. So Yeah, no, and I've listened to both of you for a good while now. And I noticed you guys do a lot of... You- Talking about Asian American culture, Asian American history, I know you guys had a thing on vote, uh, rock the vote. So tell me a, a little bit more about how you guys approach music as a social movement and teaching about education, teaching about culture and, and racism and, and daily topics that are coming up these days. Yeah, I guess for me, it all comes down for me. I owe so much to hip hop culture, man. Growing up as a Chinese American kid, it was really a lot of black and brown voices that I heard in hip hop because hip hop has always been about this. You know what I'm saying? Like hip hop is so rooted in a social consciousness, not even like your most deaf and your Kendrick Lamar's and your J. Cole's, but you can't even listen to like Lil Baby or even like a Young Thug or a Polo G or a Saweetie without being aware of like black community, black history, black culture. And so for me growing up as a rapper, I was always like, you knew very early on that I couldn't just copy and paste that because our story's so different. Uh, so it was really living in hip hop culture that pushed me to dig into our community and our shared history and go, wow, in the same way that like they'll reference a Fred Hampton or they'll reference Black Panthers or they'll reference Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, who's our Asian American figures. And that's what made me discover, yo, we actually have our own rich history of people like Fred Korematsu or Mabel Pinghua Lee or the Tate family except that, that that history just so often gets erased and marginalized. And so being a member of the hip hop community actually really pushed me to become more of a member and more aware of our Asian American community and history. And it was just natural to put that in the bars, put that in the lyrics, put that in the vibe, because that's what I learned from hip hop. I don't know. How, how about yeah. you, man? Super similar, just because hip hop has encompassed like the majority of my life. And the way that hip hop celebrates unapologetic blackness that led me to really embrace my own heritage in, in a really weird way where it's like, I just love our people so hard because I think I learned that from just obviously just being around the black community, having mostly black friends and seeing how proud they are to be black. It just for me, I felt that same pride towards us, which is why I'm so like overly passionate about it and like ready to, to fight anybody that don't like it because I feel like the passiveness that we were, were taught, it has to break through us in terms of being Asian American or just that that idea of not just being Asian, but just having our own identity. You know? And actually, I, I actually want to credit Jason for helping me think about this like years ago. So he had said something to me that really framed how I saw how to create music using Asian American ideas and themes. So we had this conversation like, how do you talk about Asian American stuff without it coming off as gimmicky or corny? Because we've seen that happen before when an Asian rapper drops like an Asian bar and people are like, oh my God, because it just sounds so... Jason was like, there's a way to, there's got to be a way to do it because if you don't talk about it as an Asian American man or woman, whoever you are, how that's always going to be the elephant in the room. You, you as an Asian American man doing something that is not for Asians, coming into their space. If you don't talk about the one thing they're going to literally want to know about, then it's kind of like 50 cent getting shot nine times and then him never talking about it. So I think once I thought about that, this was years ago, by the way, this is before I became like super open about how proud I am to be unapologetically Asian and stuff. But yeah, that kind of changed my whole perspective. And then within these two years, I I started putting way more like Asian American type, like 
references and materials in my music. And I, I noticed, even though my fan base isn't like primarily just Asian, like these started gravitating because they felt that kind of love I had for us. It's something that you can't deny. It's, I, I listen to Kendrick and Dead Prez. I don't relate. <laughs> I'm not black, but I feel that passion. I feel that love. So I wanted to translate and transcribe that for us too. So whoever, if you're not Asian, you can feel that type of sense of wanting to do right by your, by your community. So that's how I see mu- using music as a vehicle. Yeah, I think that's a great point to have because who else is going to be able to talk about it except for us? And as East Asian men, for us in particular, East Asian men, what do we want to talk about? What our perspectives are we coming from? And if we don't talk about that, then who else will? So it's even using our talents as artists in some ways to promote that culture and promote either history, what are we going to do about it, promoting new thoughts and ideas, and what has the government done and society done to our culture and how that plays out. So I think it's very important that some of your work and the works of others, that you're able to see that. What I got into my Asian identity was because I saw other activists, they knew their history. They knew their Emmett Tills, people I'd never heard of. And they'd show me a picture, like, here are all these people just in this city. I'm like, why do you know all this? And I know nothing about the Asian American culture. So to know those names, see what's going on, be aware, really had to borrow that and learn from other cultures and see how they are activating themselves and how they use music and media and voices to, to do that. So I think what you're doing here is a part of that same thing that we need that for ourselves is teaching what got you in like the entertainment industry. Sure. Yeah. My journey started in middle school and honestly, bro, I think I've told this story multiple times, but like the first person I clung on to in hip hop was Eminem. I was like, I'm still infatuated with the Eminem. That's just, I'm probably the biggest Eminem fan you'll ever find. And, and I would challenge anyone on that. And so through him, I discovered like Nas, Pop, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, Fuji Rap. And then, and then D12 dropped their, like, their, their first album. And I'm like, oh my God. It's just like, it was just, because D12 had molded their, like, their uh, posse after Wu-Tang Clan. So there's this, like, lineage of just great MCs and, and cliques. And so in middle school, I had a couple of friends that were into rap. And I was like, yo, bro, let's do a rap group. And then, so that's when I literally was, like, in, at 12 years old. I'm like, you know what? Bow Wow did it. It's cool. <laughs> like, I'm young. I'm a prodigy. It didn't work out. <laughs> but... What happened after that was I got ridiculed and outcasted by my school because people were just not receptive. It, like, my friend was black, so they accepted him. But me being Asian, they were just like, oh, he's, oh yeah, Asian people are supposed to be nerds and playing violin. I did both. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So it was like a lot of pushback. So like this idea of like cultural appropriation, cancel culture, it's like, bro, I've been doing that since, I've been had that since I was 12 years old when people were like in my face telling me, you cannot, you're not allowed to do this. And so that only wanted to make me like become a better MC, like a better writer. So I would go underage to like ciphers and clubs and just like battle people in freestyle all the time. Finally, when I moved to Atlanta was when I found my acceptance. And for me, it was like, I had so much to prove. I would just step up to different ciphers and I won like a battle rap tournament in, in my school. And that like literally made me like so popular around like campus. And I was like, wow, this is possible. And the more I dug into my confidence and who I was and also molded my singing and my rapping, the more like the industry started taking notice. And so I think this whole journey for me was one about self-love and also about finding out how to be unapologetically you amidst all the adversity and all the no's. The kind of like the classic hero's journey I described like my music career path. Yeah, for me, it's so similar. And, and I think that's why Alan and I vibe so much is because music gave us so much strength as kids. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's what I just keep trying to replicate in any of the work that I do or that we're doing with this face value project. But for me, it was, I say, okay, there's two moments in my childhood. One was I was talking to my boy Youssef 
and it was just talking about like pop music and, and whatever. We're just guessing before class. And I was like, yeah, man, I just never really hear anything deep or anything dope. And he was like, yo, let me put you on to something. So he gave me three records. He gave me Aesop Rock's Labor Days. He gave me Jay-Z, The Blueprint. And he gave me, what's it called? Uh, this record from Deltron 3030. All very yep. experimental, very lyrical, very dope stuff. And I remember I would just ride the bus with those on repeat, just those three albums. And I was like, man, I've never heard nothing like this on the radio because I'd heard the big singles and you hear the choruses and it's catchy. But this was the first time that like my mind just had something to seize onto. And I was always very into literature, into language. I always did good in English. And uh, But this was the first time that I heard something that instead of being like, yo, let me figure out what some white dude in the 1500s was really trying to tell his audience. It was the first time that I heard young people of color not trying to appeal to a mainstream audience, not trying to mold themselves to fit acceptance, but just being unapologetically them, attracting the culture towards them rather than trying to shape themselves towards mainstream culture. And then uh, the second moment, then a couple years later, uh, I don't know if you remember, this is a while ago, but there was this viral uh, song called Got Rice. It was a flip of Tupac's Changes. And somebody on the internet, nobody knows who it was. They try to hunt him down. They don't know who this was, but somebody flipped Tupac's Changes into this song about like Asian American pride, Asian pride, ASEAN pride. And, and I remember me and my boys, Howie Shen and Alan Shen, I heard it on Alan's burn CDR he had on a field trip. And I was like, yo, this is wild. So we wanted to do it for a talent show our junior year. And them dudes backed out. Alan was like, oh, I don't know, man. And how he was like, oh, my mom says I got a violin lesson that night. But I was like, yo, yo, man, forget that. I'm going to do it anyway. So I just rolled out and, and did that at our junior year talent show. And nobody knew me as an artist. Nobody knew me as an MC. They just knew that, you know, I, I was just one of their classmates. And when I came out and that went and I did it all, no backing vocals, just instrumental in me. I remember the school got super loud. It went up for two, three minutes. And I was like, man, everything we're learning in class, like all the history, all the literature, all the work I do in class, teachers give you a grade and nobody really cares. But this song, this one like little viral song that I covered at our junior talent show had like my whole class like going up. And that was when I was like, man, if we can take what we're learning and studying and know, and we can make it, put it out there in this form, that's what can really touch the world. And since then, I've really just been pursuing that same impact of translating things I know in my mind to something that can resonate and get people on their feet. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's valuable to have that education piece into it. If we're not able to speak some truth, whether it be our truth in society or our personal truth, but also the historical aspect and learning from it. But what's so crazy is like through hip hop is where I learned most of like, life's lessons and stuff including history there's like this crazy song by Razkaz called nature of the threat where i learn about like the origins of christianity and you know how people became who we are like, in terms of like just like a seven minute masterpiece about like his dissertation on like human nature and history and then people like most deaf talib Kweli, dead prez so i think me and jason are, are definitely like motivated from that cloth because it's like these are people like that laid there are before us that kind of showed how to do it because being impre impressionable people, like you want to hear something that's still cool. You don't want to have to read it in a boring looking textbook. And I think that's, it's all about the packaging at this point. It's just how do you brand it so people will actually digest it? Yeah. And the, the Black Panthers just call it edutainment, something that's mm -hmm. educational and entertainment because mm -hmm. you're going to want to come back and learn more. 
for me, teaching history through film and television storytelling, because you're seeing it, you're learning it, and you just get to sit down on your couch and just eat some popcorn. Like music, you can put it in the car and just listen to it and hear about it. Like, yeah, you're learning a lot here and enjoying it because it, you know, it'll rhyme or it'll just have a nice uh, rhythm to it. You're going to, you, you might be able to repeat it back to you people and be like, ah, I learned something there. You have this new album that's coming out this month for Heritage Month. You know, what led you to put this album together? And obviously this for this month, why? So it really came out of convos that Alan and I have been having. Our, our whole careers, I've known this dude about a decade since we were very young. And especially over the last year, we've just been having a lot of conversations about COVID-19, racism, art. Everyone was saying like, yo, we got to do something. We got to use our voices. And I think for me, definitely, it's about, yeah, let's use our voices. But I always want to push it one level deeper. You know what I'm saying? Instead of just, oh, like, hate is, you know, bad and, and love is good, which is true. But it's like, yo, where does it come from? You know what I'm saying? I feel like any time that we can dive a little deeper is super important. So we had these convos about, yo, how can we really add to the convo? You know what I'm saying? Like, how can we not just make the conversation louder, but how can we give people something in that conversation that goes deeper or informs them a little more? And so Alan was like, yeah, man, like we should do something. Let's put something together. And the convo really elevated and evolved from there. Alan, where do you feel like we took it from those initial speaking? Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I think last year when we thought about it, it was almost like this passion project that would never come true. You know, like those, like a Dr. Dre detox where it's like, oh, this is so cool on paper. And so for this to actually become a thing is like such a dream come true for me. Because I think, one, I don't think our community has ever had a project like this. And I know how much Blessed One Tears that me and Jason have put into this to, to make this happen. And it's just so magical for not only us, but the people that are a part of this record to come together. I don't want to give away some of the guests, but we have some like high profile people and some like really important figures of like our community lending their voices from East Asians, Southeast Asians to South Asians. And I think that to me shows how much our voices are needed. We've been told so much who we are, what we are. We are not capable of feeling racism. You guys did this to yourself. All this fucking bullshit that like people in, like put on us to make us feel invalidated to gaslight us to, as if what we go through is not real because we're no real people we're fucking idiots so i think it's one of them things where with this album it humanizes us and also humanizes our story because it's us telling it not some random dude like using it for his political agenda this is just our story and the facts are there music being your medium for movement and, and teaching and education expression where do you see music as important to a movement something like this this is this asian american movement right now is nothing new we've definitely had it in like the 60s and the 40s and the 20s but now we're in 2021 right this is a whole asian american movement we're all coming together we're going out into the streets that's something new how do you see music playing into this movement yeah i would say it is refreshing for me because growing up i was always the loud one with no one to back me up even four years ago when i would post on facebook defending us for little things like a rapper saying the C word. And I'm like, what the fuck? Or like Steve Harvey saying you know, things about Asian men. I literally called out Steve Harvey and I tagged him on my Facebook and Twitter. It was like, yo, if you want to go to war, I always was the one to do it. And so now I feel not so alone because I was like, are we just not meant to cause a stir? Are we just not me meant to rock the boat? And so I, as bittersweet as I am about just how we're being treated, it's, it is beautiful to see that we're like starting to feel so fed up that we're like, fuck this. Even if we're taught to not like speak back or whatever, we're doing it because we're tired of seeing our elders, our women, our kids being hurt and us being hurt. This is time. And so I think with um, even me and Jason's work that we've been putting in terms of raising awareness, I think 
it's way more susceptible for people to hear now than maybe even five years ago. Because Asian, like Asian rappers have been doing like little things here and there about like, hey, I want to educate y'all about what we go through. But I don't know if David, if, if you've been in those combos, but it's there's people are just like, yo, don't talk about that. People don't care. There's always been that kind of pushback saying no one cares. So we've been ingrained to be like, you know what? Let's just rap about n- not our stuff. Let's just remind people we're not just Asian, whatever, Asian, whatever. And, and now it's like this, we can wear it on our sleeves without feeling like we're going to be outcast for it. Hell yeah. When I grew up, my dad was always saying, if, if no one asks if you're Asian, don't tell them. Like, yeah. don't be Asian if you don't have to be. Uh, and so for a long time, I wasn't. I didn't recognize I was Asian until about, I don't know, three years ago. Mm. And like, now mm. I'm wearing it on my sleeve. I'm promoting Asians. Like, how can I help the Asian community? What can I do more for the Asian community? I think it's really important to me. But like before, it wasn't like that. It was very much, and actually, it was almost the opposite. I had a lot of internalized racism. Mm. I didn't want to be yeah. with Asians. All I saw were stereotypes on the TV. So I thought that's what everybody else was, except for like me and growing up in a white area, like there was no other Asians to talk with. So it was very, so I feel that. But uh, Jason, what about yourself? For me, I look back at Chrissy Jima and Nobuko Miyamoto and how music has always been the heartbeat of a movement. Uh, A professor back in the day told me that culture change is always accompanied by cultural products. And there's no such thing as change in a culture, in a society that doesn't come accompanied with voices of that movement. And that's not saying that this is the most important part. That's not what I'm saying. I'm like, definitely community organizers, bodies in the streets, political lobbyists, people who are funding grassroots movements. That's all really the agents of change. But as the culture changes, people need things to feed their hearts. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's really, again, going back to what music's been for me, music has always taught me and motivated me and honestly it just makes you feel cool like when you realize like this isn't just an idea that I had or this wasn't just something that someone taught me but but this is a movement that has its soundtrack that has its this whole culture this alternative culture to what we've always had forced down our throats pause and like to me I look at the 60s and 70s with yellow pearl with grain of sand I look at in the 90s you had, there, there were alternative rock acts. There was the Mountain Brothers, one of our mentors, Chops, who has a record on face value. They were the first Asian American hip hop group signed to a label. And then you, you even look into the 2000s, whether it's spoken word poetry, like Yellow Rage and Bosia and Dante Bosco and Balfi. And then you look even to right now when there's so many voices like Ruby Ibarra and Chow Main, all, all good friends of ours, who are really continuing to soundtrack the movement. And I'm just glad to be a part of that legacy and a part of this generation that's doing it now. And hopefully what we do lays down something so that in 20, 30 years, they reference back to face value the way that we reference back to Yellow Pearl and the work that they were doing in in the past. Just to be a part of that legacy, another layer of that foundation uh, is what I'm super excited about. I definitely feel like that's that's gonna be referenced for sure. And to be honest, I haven't heard a lot of these names before. I think that's something else uh, I want to hear, learn more about and get more out there into the world is all these famous names who have been out there for a long time. Even Grain of Sand, like I know that, but I know a lot of people just won't, you know, but there's so many people who've, who've done it in the past who just need to be highlighted. I think a part of it is like the algorithm. You can't just, we don't always like put search Asian SEO. We don't put your names and you don't know like 
titles and stuff like you that. You search so Asian, like anime and K-pop pops up. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to battle like the mainstream. <laughs> yeah. If not worse things. Oh yeah, way not, worse. Uh, worse. Way worse. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Worse. Yeah. If you put if you put the parental filters on oh uh, your iPhone and you, you can't search Asian, but you can search Oriental. It's it's <laughs> it's racist either way. So that's disappointing. <laughs> so racist yeah it's definitely got to be i don't know if it's coming from you guys or someone else but like some sort of database of asian artists throughout the decades because i want to be able to see and listen and where their albums and records at because those would be so hot and fire right now absolutely That's exactly what uh, our friend richie does over at tractivist t-r-a-k-t-i-v-i-s-t he's basically the library of asian american music I remember during the Grammys, he put out this series on previous Asian American Grammy winners. And so many people don't know nothing beyond BTS or, I don't know, Haley Kiyoko or whoever is doing it now. But he was like, yo, in the 70s, this was the first Filipino artist to win and all this. Again, so proud to be part of this generation that's rediscovering and reclaiming and continuing to foreground our ancestors. And by ancestors, I don't mean, oh, blood relatives. Like back then, my family was in Asia, but these Asian American ancestors of ours who were f- struggling and fighting through the exact same social layers of filters and bamboo ceilings that we are still today. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point to bring up too, because we can think about our ancestors were our homeland countries, but to see, to recognize our Asian American ancestors who paved the ways for our this society that we live in here in this country. Mm-hmm. Something to think about and always bring up. Hey, how you doing? We just want to give some shout outs to some people. We just passed Heritage Month. There's no reason to stop Heritage Month. I think it's really important that we keep talking about the history. So if you want to go learn learn more about your history, visit a local museum. If you're in any metropolitan city, there is probably something very close by or very reachable. Uh, if you're in Los Angeles, there's Japanese American National Museum. That's opening this next week, the 22nd. They're open from Tuesday to Sunday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Go check it out. There's also the Chinese Historical Society in Chinatown. I, do, I don't know if they're doing anything at the moment, but... I've sat in on one of their meetings about the canneries in Alaska. It's really interesting, and I'm just enjoying it. There has to be museums everywhere. You want to go to my college city, there's museums out there that I'm interested in. And it's Pride Month. I bet if there's a museum about pride somewhere in your local area. So go visit the history. And that's our little uplift break. And we're going to go back to our episode. But I do want to know, from your ethnic backgrounds, where do you, how do you identify? And how do you, do you bring that into your music? And what you and how are you bringing that in? I think it's pretty clear that you know we're definitely really proud of our identities as Asian Americans, and that we are driving that point home in, in our music. But I think the importance is to make sure that the listener knows that we're speaking from not like an overall arching like Asian experience, but an Asian American experience. And this is another thing that I remember Jason saying last year when we, were, we had a panel together. And it, it, that's something that I was like, okay, this puts this puts so much perspective into what people don't understand, especially in the music industry, it's especially me and my background in terms of like how I was like put into the system, like the major label system when I was younger and the mainstream type of machines that like I was around and stuff like that. It was like either they try to mold you as like a, like a black artist or a white artist, or they try to orientalize you and basically package you so that you look good for what do you think Korea or China likes. But just no one at that time would talk about What's an Asian American? What, what about the, the 5% that make up this nation right here that can speak for this nation or speak, sorry, speak up for this nation? And so I think that's what's the distinction that I think me personally, I, I want to make is, yo, I, I'm obviously I'm more than just an Asian American. That's not all I talk about. But 
as far as what I stand for is I'm always going to have that. I'm always going to rep that because I can't change that. And if I can't change that, then that means that's going to be me to the fullest. And I think to dispel that perpetual foreigner sy- like syndrome is something that's really important to me. And to always call out people that say stupid shit like, where are you from? Where are you really from? Hey, I can say ni hao in your language. Well, I can say fucking in yours. Or, or hey, I, I've been to Japan. Do you have any recommendations for when I go to Thailand? Stupid fucking shit that people say that they think, or, oh, like an Asian girl that, or like a girl that hits on you is like, oh, I love Asians. I use sushi all the time. Just like all these orientalized things that people say that they think is okay. I think we need to always check that because if we don't, they're going to go around spreading that to any person and think that is okay. And people only learn is if you're, a little kid and your mom tells you, hey, don't touch the stove. You don't listen. You have to feel that that burn to know not to do it. I think for me, Asian American, like, I, so I'm Chinese American, like Alan. But for me, I definitely consciously identify as Asian American. For one thing, my parents, my dad is from Thailand and mom's from, my mom's from Malaysia. So already we have this diasporic identity that involves displacement, that involves you know, my, my grandfather left China uh, as a journalist right before 1949. And uh, right before the communist revolution. And uh, so we already have this sort of intermingled Southeast Asian Chinese family heritage. But for me, really, the reason to identify as Asian American is because I believe in this pan-ethnic Asian American unity movement that was founded in 68 by Emma G and, 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 and Yuji Ichioka and these early ancestors of the current pan-ethnic Asian America. And I remember I had a long convo one time in Philly with my creative director, Kevin, when a lot of people talk about, oh, hey, it's actually racist to lump us all in together as Asian Americans. Like, we're different. And I I was, like, breaking it down to him while I identify as Asian American. And it's not because I'm not Chinese. It's not because I'm generically Asian. But it's because I want to choose to be part of this bigger struggle. I want to choose, like, it's a conscious choice to say, hey, I'm in community with Laos and Hmong, and Mien, and Burmese, and Khmer, and South Asians. And this is all part of the people that are affected by racism. This is all part of the people that we're going to come together and fight this stuff together. And that's why, for me, I very much have this like racial consciousness. That's taught me a lot. Being in solidarity with Pacific Islanders has taught me a lot about their erasure and the history of imperialism and colonialism and the way that, like my friend uh, Kerry Okubo talks about, that the Pacific has served as a military buffer on both sides. America uses the Pacific as a hedge against Asia and vice versa. And learning that, I I think Dr. King said it really well when he talks about the Great World House. He says, hey, we're all a beloved community together. We got to take on each other's burdens. And for me, a pan-ethnic consciousness is a way to take at least one step towards trying to remind myself that my identity isn't just what I was born with, but it's also the burdens and the blessings and the the brotherhood and sisterhood that we take on throughout life. And I also would add on for our own survival, it's not good to be tribalistic in this time. Because if you go, oh no, I'm Korean, I'm Filipino, don't attack me, I'm not Chinese. Okay, they're still going to fucking punch you in the face. It doesn't matter. It's You have to understand that where we stand, if Ch- Chinese people or Japanese people, any type of Asian is the enemy. We're all the enemy. And, and so it's, you have to understand how a racist person views us. It's the same. It's, it's just the oriental lens, right? And it's, if you can't recognize that and you're so prideful about your nationality, great. Don't be surprised if you get attacked for it and then be, tell you to go back to China or Japan. Because it's just one of the things that while we can operate in our own traditional cultures in terms of our nationalities, 
it's something that we can share together through Pan-Asian American identity. It's not something you have to just claim, but it's something, it's there. It's, it's there for you to know that we got your back. I got your back, whether you're Filipino, Laos, Cambodian, Vietnamese, all Indian, it don't matter. You're one of me and I'm one of you. So mm-hmm. that's how I see like community bu- building within just the, the greater Asian. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, the, I think the whole thing is that if we're not working together, then we're working separately. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, even knowing I was Asian, I didn't recognize myself as Japanese American. And so I knew any Asian with me is a sibling of mine and to be able to stick up for one of each other. And I keep hearing these, the conversations on Clubhouse, like South Asians aren't Asian. I'm like, are you seriously saying that? This is something that I think one of your, your album, your songs is like they're cousins, at the very least they're cousins and that we're still family here and we have to stick up for one another. And I don't, I definitely classify myself or identify as an Asian American because being fifth generation Japanese American, like the culture is very out of our family. My dad's fully assimilated. I'm the only one who's bringing some of that culture back in because my grandmother's still alive. I ask her questions and keep up with the history. She was in the camps. So I want to make sure that legacy lives on and what those stories of what her great grandchildren are going to hear and the stories that they get to tell, because those are the really important we have. But as a whole, Asian American, being Asian American, that we're We've all experienced this, the hatred in this country in different ways. And to also know those histories is also part of my history. As an Asian American here, I still recognize with the Chinese railroads and, and the refugee camps in, in Minnesota or just uh, refugees coming into the South and making business for themselves. So being proud to be Asian American and building, whether it be donut shops, nail salons, uh, uh, laundromats, farming land, we're all here together because we all came, generally came for one thing or another very similarly. So I think it's important that we come together as Asian Americans and stick up for one another and and also learn each other's histories. I think that's uh, valuable too, because I think what's great about what's great about America and being the melting pot of Asian American is that in the Asian countries, we're all separated by the country and the nationality. Mm. We don't really, we are very separated in those ways, but here we're going to come together and we're living together in this non-homogenous, this era. So to learn from each other, learn different languages, see what other people are doing, and then do fusion. Fusion food's delicious. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still learning Korean. I'm now living in K-Town, so I'm trying to get better at Korean and learn Korean food. Yeah, like doing, learning different stuff. I think it's really important that we're cross-culturally, un, cross-cultural unity, very important for me. Mm-hmm. So um, coming up on these last couple of questions, who are some of your heroes and sheroes from history that you'd want people to learn about? I think it's really important. Jason, you want to go first? I mean, for me, man, there's too many. Ones I love talking about are Hazel Ying Lee, who was a Chinese American woman from Portland in like the 1930s, 1940s. She learned how to fly a plane from the Chinese American Flying Club of Portland and uh, or the Aviation Club. And then uh, when World War II broke out and Imperial Japan was invading China, she went over to China and flew against Imperial Japan. And then she came back to the States and, and she flew for the Women's Air Force Service pilots. And, and, and then she died, actually, I think in Montana in a plane crash. And that's just, you know, such an amazing Asian American story, Hazel Ying Lee. And then I, I think about, for me, people like Fred Korematsu, who defied the, uh, the illegal incarceration of Japanese Americans. And he went on the run. And they had to, the feds came and took him in and then locked him up. And he spent a lot of World War II incarcerated for defying unjust American laws. And then he got out and served as a community organizer 
fighting for reparations for the Japanese American community. And then later in his life, as South Asians came under attack, he was very loud and vocal uh, against that racism. I look at people like that. And I also got to shout out Chops, who's, you know, one third of the legendary Mountain Brothers, like I said, first Asian American rap group to be signed to a label. One of our big OGs, big homies who really puts us on all out of game. What I always say just is if there's anything you're looking for in American history, Asians have been there and we've been doing mm-hmm. it. And it's just about finding those voices and examples. Yeah, yeah I got a, I got a few as well. Let's just say that obviously Eminem is my hero. Eminem is my hero. You guys know that. So we don't need to. <laughs> I'll, I'm gonna, otherwise, I'll talk for an hour about Eminem. We don't need that. I'd say for me, like a lot of it is rooted in entertainment just because like I'm super passionate about acting and, and music. So off the top of my brain, I would say one obvious is Bruce Lee. Just I feel like he was one of the most like legendary like god tier people it's just it's mm-hmm. almost like mythical how how cool and just perfect he was as a just as an entity as a human being so that's mm-hmm. one i would say Seth's huge influence because i feel like one he's not talked about enough but two he showed us how possible it was for us to like cross over without compromising who he was and he did it at a time where there was so much anti-asian sentiment in fact there was so much that when he got too popular, they just pretty much almost blacklisted him. And he was relegated to mm-hmm. small villainous roles or had to move. To, and I think he eventually moved to Japan. Kenny Styles, also a hero of mine because he did what a lot of people did not expect for an Asian man to do. And I've had conversations with him too. And he was the first person to tell me when I told him to his face that he was my hero. He was like, yo, be your own hero. And so that's what he instilled in me. So I would say as a personal hero of mine, even though he told me not to see him as a hero, that was something that he instilled in me. And I would say uh, Fresh Kid Ice. He was the half black, half Asian American member of Two Live Crew. And he was also the first person in the industry to actually believe in me. So when I was younger, like he had found my SoundCloud and then he just he messaged me on there and he called me and was like, yo, let's have a talk. And he told me, he was like, I see what you're doing. Like, I would love to help out. And he told me about his history. It's like Two Live Crew. He put on Flowrider. Not a lot of people didn't know that. He's like, he's like yo, I could do the same for you. Just show me what you got. And unfortunately, he passed in 2017. Nothing really came to surface. But I've always remembered how much his belief in me meant to me. But also the fact that like he did something that like he didn't have to do. Mind you, Tiger's half Asian. That motherfucker does not talk about being Asian. Fresh Kid Ice was only half, and he, he like he had albums like freak. He had not albums, but records like Freaky Chinese, like Chinaman Records, like just really representing for his Asian side. So I think it just showed how powerful that can be. Like you being half Asian and still wanting to rep your Asian side. At a time when it wasn't cool to be Asian, come on. So people like that, that are so proud to be themselves and just speak for people that may not have the voices. Those are people that I really relate to. Yeah, being proud to be Asian feels like it's uh, almost a new thing, like a yeah. uh, new acceptance, which is yeah. really cool because I think it wasn't like that for a long time. But now it's, yeah, why wouldn't we want to be us? We're pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's really, it's great that we're seeing that, that resurgence of things. And then again, like these tons of historical figures throughout the years and in, in any industry that I, that you have. And there's a lot of uh, work that we're trying to teach here in a strong Asian lean is like Asian Hollywood history. This way, Harakawa was the sex icon. And I just learned about Jaden Wong. Yeah, and Jaden Wong was a burlesque, famous burlesque dancer for many years and just got a, had a Lifetime Achievement Award. We don't hear these names. And there's just so much to learn in for 100 years of history that we're just lost. Yeah, and as we're wrapping up here, we have a closing fire question. What are you reading or watching? Uh, film, TV, or books? Got any recommendations? So I just <clears throat> finished DMX's book. Like I've had it for a long time and I skimmed through it when I was younger. But you know, this is like 
right when he was getting sick, I was like, I, I had this kind of urge to read his uh, autobiography. I read that um, in the middle of reading Be Water, my friend, I think that's what it's called, but it's Shannon Lee's book that she wrote about mm-hmm. Bruce Lee's philosophy. As far as like what I'm watching, obviously I'm watching anime. So right now I'm watching Cycle Pass and I'm always digging into movies just because I'm super passionate about like that. So usually like action movies or like comedy movies, like I'm into that. I'm into Criminal Minds. I'm, I'm like near the end of that. So yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, I've been watching Invincible. Just first season just finished. Invincible by Robert Kirkman, same creator as Walking Dead. It's only hinted at in the comics, but in the series, the lead, Mark, is played by uh, Stephen Yoon. It's an animated series, so the voice actor is Stephen Yoon, and his mom's played by Sandra Oh. Super diverse cast in that. That one's great. And I uh, just finished Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I thought was really great, and just really diving into the Captain America mythos. Yeah, so I, I've been watching a lot of superhero stuff recently, actually. That's Ryan. Uh, I just finished, definitely just finished Invincible, and then I also recommend The Way of the House Husband on oh, Netflix. Yeah. Our buddy's the lead voice actor on that, Andres Ramacho. Is, uh, is originating he, he he the voice actor for the, the lead on that yeah oh it's, it's killed me man that's so good and the last question who do you want to uplift is there somebody else that you're like this person doesn't get shouted out enough and they're coming up and i want to just want to shout them out a bit if there was a person i think we should shout out the first asian the first player in the nba was an asian american man what masaka yeah but that dude and also the first NHL oh. player that was of color is also Asian. I think Larry Kwong or something. So I feel like we, I would love to see movies made about them one day. But I, th- I would say as a whole, I would love to pay homage to like our elders, man. Because they've been going through hell. And we don't, like, I don't think people realize how much our elders have done for us. Like not only just people we're related to, but just in general. Just the hell they've been through just being in America. So I just, I want to uplift them and see how, what what ways we can do to make them feel safer and to protect them. I I co-sign all of that. Yeah, just thanks to everybody who's come before and paved the way. Shout out also artists like Lyrics Born. Yeah, Yellow Rage, Bosia, Balfi, Ariana Bosco, Nobuko Miyamoto, Chris Ijima, so many of these people. And yeah, if there's one thing, I think a lot of people are aware of some of what's popping right now. But realize, if y'all are listening, please realize that this hasn't started in the last 10 years. People, our community's been doing this for 170 years. Just so many of those names are erased by history and we just have to keep rebuilding. But it's so important for us not to think, oh, we're the first or where the the movement was never existed and now we're finally doing it. Because that just, because in 20 years, I don't want somebody to be like, yo, nobody was ever spitting for Asian Americans. Thank God, after all the silence so in the same way that we don't want that happening to us, definitely. Let's not, we don't want to do that to the past. So y'all go to Tractivist, research the ones that have come before and put down this, lay down the foundation for everything that we do now. Before we go, tell us about the album. When's it dropping? What's the title? And where can we find it? So face value, the album is out now. It came out May 14th. A whole 15 tracks on Asian American history is out now on all streaming services. Please stream it download it take a listen let us know what you think yeah so here's some perks of why you need to listen so we got a bunch of dope features we got dante bosco ronnie chang aj Raphael, ruby abara chow ming zeta zang b vang michelle myers from yellow rage this is one of those albums that like there's i don't think we 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 made sure like everyone was, was like gonna be like represented well so yeah i really recommend this for everybody yeah thanks uh, thank you for, to, for putting together that spotify playlist man I, I like looked it over once you tagged us i was like you really put thought into it and you had some of my favorite stuff on there you had some gems from like the past from like decipher you know that's a, that's a homie of ours danny chung 
know, Angry Asian oh. Man. You yeah. have a lot of gems. Yeah, that's one of my favorite playlists. Today. <laughs> Thank you both for coming on to the podcast and uh, sharing your experiences, sharing about the album, talking about its history. And I think this Heritage Month is really, really important for a lot of us. So thanks for what you're doing and can't wait to hear more and see all your guys' work. Yeah, it's so good to chat with Jason and Alan. I, we could chat about politics all day and how art intersects with politics and changing society. Music for change. Art for change. How can we use our art and our abilities for change for good? I think that's a real point to make. Because one of the artist's responsibilities is to do the work of telling the truth and making it known. We remember, we hear these things, and we watch it, and we see it, we hear it. That's very powerful, because if a picture can tell a thousand words, how much can music make, right? When you feel it, you feel what's inside as art and emotion. So I dare you to check out their Face Value album on Spotify, or whatever favorite music player you use to stream music, because there's a ton of them. That's the end of our show today. Then I want to thank my team again for all the great work, Jason and Alan for the great interview, and next week, MLA Kamalova is coming back to talk about microaggressions. Your joke is something that perpetuates a bias against people of my identity. So it may be a joke to you, but after a lot of buildup, this impacts the perception that people have around people of my identity. And usually I'll mention that there is a five-step path to genocide within people and within communities. The first step is language. Changing the language that we have about people helps us dehumanize them. That's it for our episode today. We'll see you next week. This has been Strong Asian Lead, and I'm your host, David Masami Morio.